Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet with more than a million downloads, listeners in over 100 countries, and part of the Self-Help for Smart People podcast network. In this episode, we explore the brain. Are the two halves of the brain really that different? What is the idea of whole brain thinking? How do you get your brain to do what you want it to do? Can we become more right-brained? or left-brained if we wanted to? We also dig into the personal story of our guest, a neuroanatomist who suffered from a devastating stroke and how that experience transformed her worldview with our guest, Dr. Jill Taylor. I'm gonna give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. There's some amazing stuff that's only available to our email subscribers, so be sure to sign up and join the email list today. First, you're going to get an awesome free guide that we created based on listener demand. This is our most popular guide, and it's called How to Organize and Remember Everything, which you can get completely for free along with another surprise bonus guide. You got to sign up to find out by joining the email list today. Next, you're going to get a curated weekly email from us every week called Mindset Monday. Our listeners have been absolutely loving this email. It's short, it's simple, it's filled with articles, videos, stories, things we found interesting or fascinating in the last week. Lastly, you're going to get exclusive content and a chance to shape the show. You can help us vote on guests. You can help us change our intro music and much more. You can even submit your own questions to upcoming guests. You'll also have access to exclusive giveaways that only people who are on the email list get access to and much, much more. 
be sure to sign up and join the email list. There's some incredible stuff, but only subscribers who are on the email list are getting access to this awesome information. In our previous episode, we took a deep scientific look at consciousness. We asked, how do our brains experience reality? What is consciousness? Is our perception of reality nothing more than a controlled hallucination? What is the hard problem of consciousness and what are the major aspects of consciousness? And how can we use the neuroscience of consciousness to better understand ourselves and improve our lives? We dug into that and much more with our guest, Anil Seth. If you want to learn how to understand your own reality at a much deeper level, listen to that episode. Now for the show. Today, we have another awesome guest on the show, Dr. Jill Taylor. Dr. Jill is a Harvard-trained and published neuroanatomist. She's the best-selling author of her memoir, My Stroke of Insight, which recounts her experience in recovery after a severe stroke, which left her unable to walk, read, write, or recall any of her life. Her iconic TED Talk has been viewed over 22 million times, and her work has been featured all over the globe, from Oprah to the New York Times and much more. Dr. Jill, welcome to the Science of Success. Thanks, Matt. It's great to be here. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show today. And I mean, your story is obviously fascinating. And, and you know, I was just recently rewatching your, your TED Talk and almost kind of teared up. It's just so gripping and interesting. But I'd love to start out with, you know, kind of getting, you know, beginning with the science and then getting into some of your personal experiences around that. Tell me about the brain. You know, is it really true that we kind of have two halves of the brain that are essentially largely kind of disconnected and operate independently of each other? The two hemispheres are connected to one another through some 300 million axonal fibers, the portion of the brain that communicates with itself. So one area in my right hemisphere is communicating with fibers with the comparable place in the left hemisphere. So whenever any thought or ideas flashing through our brains, both hemispheres are on full force. However, there's generally an inhibition from one side to the other so that one side becomes more dominant in that particular portion of the brain. So they're all, both sides are constantly working, but they're working as a single thing. So they're making decisions about who's going to dominate the conversation or who's going to dominate the experience that you're having. And it turns out that, yes, the two hemispheres are processing information very differently, whereby the right hemisphere starts with a small group of cells that communicates with more cells, with more cells, with more cells. So it filters the world and attends to the world from the bigger picture perspective, whereby the left hemisphere is just the opposite, where it starts with a bigger group of cells focusing in, focusing in, focusing in, narrowing its level of attention so that it's really good with details. So we end up with these two very different ways of perceiving, which is very useful, blended together in our constant seamless perception of reality. But yeah, they're very different. So the right hemisphere is focused on sort of more of a bigger picture view of things and the left hemisphere is very detail oriented? Yes. Yeah, I think about it like the left brain is, let's say we're standing out in a field and we're looking horizontally across the field. And in that horizontal viewpoint, we can see different blades of grass. We can see little critters. We can see all kinds of details. And then the right hemisphere kind of puts us on a vertical axis, picks us up above the field, and then we get the bigger picture of what is in that big field and what is beyond that field as a potential predator. 
So what are some of the implications for the way we kind of think and, and live our lives in terms of the fact that the brain hemispheres process and interact with the world so differently? Well, I think it's a good thing. I mean, if we're if all we're doing is focusing on the details, then we're not going to be uh, very humorous. We need humor. Uh, humor requires a bigger picture. We won't be witty. We won't be open to new possibilities. We'll get rooted in thinking pattern that just kind of it becomes rigid and no creativity because we're rooting into what we've already known. And with a right hemisphere, if all we have is a right hemisphere, then we're big picture. Picture. We're kind of out in la-la land. We're not focusing on details. We're not very functional in the world. So it's really this magical combination of a balance between the two. And that's that's kind of what I'm all about. It's about whole brain thinking. How do we find this balance between the bigger picture of who we are and the bigger picture of humanity and our relationship with the world? And then at the same time, how do I get my details done? How do I choose my projects wisely? Because that's where my energy is going to go and that I don't get burned out. So it's this whole brain living concept of, of how do I approach the time that I have on this planet with using, really utilizing the skill sets of both hemispheres. So tell me a little bit more about this idea of whole brain thinking or whole brain living. Well, if you if you look at the two brain structures and you look at the kind of information they care about, they're going to have actually different value structures. So if I'm looking at myself as a human being in relationship to my community and I value my community and I want my tax dollars to go to my community in order to uh, lift those up who are the downtrodden, who need assistance, and I focus my energy on how do I help other people kind of we all rise together and so you know that's a value structure and then if I'm in my left brain and I'm more about the detail of who I am Jill Bolte Taylor who's my family who are my relations what is my advantage how do I climb the the hierarchical ladder of society either socially or financially and it's about me and the focus is me then that's a very different way of a very different value structure. So, so, you know, finding balance in what is meaningful, which is for me, the value structure of the right brain, as opposed to my own self value in a society that is made up of billions of people. And how do I make my own self relevant with my own details? It's this blending together. and, And in that blending together comes a level of satisfaction. If I come to life through that value structure of the bigger picture, how do I use me, Joe Bolte Taylor, in the world in order to make the world a better place? And I use my left brain in order to manage the details and manage the schedule and manage what I'm doing and manage, you know, management of of who I am and what I do. If I come into the world through the filter of it's all about me and what I'm managing and the world revolves around me, then my family and how I use my time. And it's just a completely different way of being in the world. So, but the ultimate goal for me is if we do both and we come to it through the context of the bigger picture, then I use myself in the detail in a really positive way in the world. And there's meaning there for me then. I want to circle back to that concept, but I want to ask this question to kind of better understand it. Is it true that people can can be or people are more 
you know, left brain or more right brain? Because you kind of hear that thrown around sometimes. Is that an actual phenomenon? Well, I think that when you think about the brain, every ability that we have, we have because we have brain cells that are performing that function. So my ability to speak language is a group of cells. If those go offline, then I'm not going to be able to speak language. Your ability to understand when I speak, that's groups of cells. So if those go offline, then you don't have that ability. My ability to wiggle my finger is motor circuitry. And if that goes offline, then I experience paralysis. So all of these abilities that we have are cellular based. And then there are certain things about cells that become predictable. So if I'm using a group of cells or, or let's say, well, let's use the, the motor cortex, because if I'm an athlete and I'm exercising and rerunning and rerunning and rerunning certain circuitry in order to be able to perform a certain function, then I get really good at it. Well, that's how cells in the brain are. The more you practice them, the more routinized they become in their ability to function to the point where they start running on automatic without us even having to think about it. And that's a lovely thing. And that's true for how we think or how we interact in the world. So whatever we exercise, whatever circuits get more exercised, then they become more strong and more dominant. And by dominant, what that means is that a group of cells then may reach over into that opposite hemisphere and inhibit those. So if I become very verbal and I become very, my value structure becomes one of my left hemisphere, then those are the cells that I'm exercising and exercising. And yeah, those are going to become my dominant hemisphere. So it is true that when we look at the cells and the circuitry, that people tend to become often and often not depends on how on what their value structure is, either more right brain, they enjoy their creativity, they enjoy their innovation, they enjoy an open schedule, they encourage that circuitry inside of their brain, and they're not very happy to go to the office or pay their taxes, or not pay their taxes, but do their taxes actually. Or there are people who are just really good at numbers and really good at detail and really good at mechanics and really good at organizing things, and that's what they tend to do. But this balance between the two is what seems to bring a real ability to function at an accelerated level in our society. So how can we, you know, for, for example, for someone who's kind of dominant in one hemisphere or the other, how can they start to engage the processing in the less dominant hemisphere? I think the first thing to do is to recognize and think about who and what you are and how you spend your thinking time. You know, thinking about thinking is, I think, a fascinating thing. And yet many of my college students absolutely hate it when I ask them to do, do that. So, but I think being aware of what's going on inside of your own head. I, you know, I give a talk called uh, How to Get Your Brain to Do What You Want It to Do. And, and one of the best ways to do that is to first, you have to pay attention to what is your brain already doing? What does it do? do really well. And then what are some of the things that you notice other people are doing that perhaps you would like more of that? And if you're really good at engineering and you're really good at detail and you're really good at mechanical uh, linear processing where A plus B equals C and you like, you know, that you're good at that, then, you know, what whole more holistic, bigger picture things might you 
enjoy engaging in and then choosing to either hang out with other people who do those things and allow yourself to kind of go out on the limb where the fruit is or, you know, just kind of figure out how do you want to grow? And a lot of it's about personal growth. And and do you want to just grow or do you want to grow with some kind of purpose in mind for developing yourself more wholly, more fully? And then if you do, then, you know, my mother, when I was going to college, she said, the only thing I'm going to require that you take at school every semester is an athletics course. And that was, you know, whether it was fencing or swimming or, you know, hockey, who she didn't care what it was, but she wanted me to go out there and get my head out of the details and get back into my body and stay physically active because she wanted me to be both. So the first thing is recognizing on a scale of, you know, one to 50, where would you put yourself as how much time are you spending more in your right brain or more in your left brain dominance? And are you happy with that? And then I think another really big question is, do those two characters inside of yourself, the part of you that allows you to be open and more free and more connecting and more nurturing, does that character like your detailed person? And does your detailed person inside of yourself like the part of you that is more open? I believe that the most important relationship that we have is the relationship between those two characters inside of our our minds. And if they like one another, how do they work with one another to support one another so that we can all really thrive as an entity? Or if they don't like one another, then, you know, that's a, a whole nother story. So I want to go deeper down this this rabbit hole. I mean, I I, I completely understand and agree with the the premise that kind of awareness and self awareness is is really the fundamental first step in getting your brain to do what you want it to do. And and if if anything, that self awareness is probably the single most recurrent theme of every guest that we've interviewed on the show. But I'm curious, you know, I want to get into what are you know once we've kind of done the homework on the self awareness component, what are the next kind of concrete steps in in getting our brains to do what we want them to do? Well, I think then once we become aware of how we're spending our time, then I think it's a matter of of recognizing who's who inside of, of myself. You know, when you think about the self and lots of different ways about thinking about the self, and I go to a cellular level and I say, okay, I have these two higher cognitive minds and my right cognitive mind is this character who is very open and very expansive and very accepting and very nurturing and very supportive and generally in a pretty good spirit and very present right here, right now. And I give her a name. Personally, I name her. Her name is Jill. And then I have this other character in my left brain who goes to the office and she organizes my my engagements. She takes care of my, my world. She tends to my dogs. You know, she deals with all these things. And I give her a name and her name is, is Helen or short for Hell on Wheels. Uh, because she is, but she's not my preferential way of being, but I have her and I value her and I value the character that she is within me. And then I recognize that each of these two cognitive minds each have their own emotional limbic system anatomically. And I try to pay attention to, okay, what are my patterns and how do I relate to myself at a cellular patterned level based on these characters And I'm a firm believer that we have the power to choose moment by moment who and how we want to be in the world. 
And to me, what that matters is I have the power to choose moment by moment. Do I step into this moment as my right cognitive mind or as my left cognitive mind or even as my right emotional brain, which is going to be right here right now? Or my left emotional brain, which is kind of caught up in my past and in my future and in those kinds of possibilities. So I look at the brain at a cellular level and I structure it based on what my personal experience has taught me about what's it mean, what's it like to actually lose half of my brain and who's left? What's What am I left with and how do I perceive the world using that filter as I look out into the world? So for someone who's listening that that doesn't, you know, feel like they have the power to or doesn't really understand how to choose which hemisphere to engage or bring to a given moment or experience, how can they go about doing that or how or what would you say to them? Well, I would encourage them to pay attention to what they're already doing. So, for example, if I'm at work and I'm busy and I'm caught up in my details and I'm, you know, I'm busy and then the telephone rings and let's say that the I'm expecting a phone call and I'm expecting a phone call about a position that I really want. And so even, you know, if it were not that circumstance, I if the telephone rings, I might find it to be an irritation. But because I'm really expecting something exciting, then I'm not finding that interruption as an irritation. But I have the power to choose when that telephone rings, whether I'm going to perceive it as something exciting and interesting or as an irritation. So we're doing this kind of thing all the time. And it's a matter then of looking at our own patterning. So your your boss is walking down the hall, clump, clump, clump. You know, you hear the steps are coming. And you're really excited to show your boss something because you finished something and, and you're ready to present it and you've been waiting on them to come in or the same clump, 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 and you're dreading the conversation because you're not ready and you haven't been able to wrap your mind around anything brilliant and you're, you're not looking forward to the disappointment. But you have the power to choose in that moment how are you going to respond to the clomp, clomp, clomp coming down the hall? And I think as we pay attention to what we are already doing and pay attention to what our own personal patterning is, we do have the power to choose. And recognizing when I have chosen, let's say I come home and you know I've got something on my mind and my little child, uh, my little toddler is running up to me, mommy, mommy, you're home, you're home. In that moment, I have the power to choose whether or not I'm going to put down down the groceries and pick up that little lump of love and just ch- love that child or whether or not I'm going to, you know, get on the phone real quick and do this or do that or do the other. We're making choices all the time. When as soon as you're making a choice or a decision, your decision you're choosing one way of being over another way of being. And Thinking about it that way allows us to differentiate the fact that we are making these choices all the time. So I understand the example of, you know, for example, someone coming home and sort of, you know, deciding how they want to spend time or react to seeing their child. But for someone who's having, you know, maybe a negative experience that they don't want to be having or they feel like is out of their control or they feel like, you know, you know, it's kind of an experience that they wish they weren't experiencing. How can they make that choice in that moment when they, you know, it almost seems like they would rather have, they're trying to make a choice, but they feel like they can't. 
So generally when that happens, they're caught up in the emotional circuit of their left brain. The left brain is saying, this is different than what I want it to be. The left brain is rather the perfectionist. And in the perfect world, you're not having this conversation with me and breaking up with me. Okay, we'll just use that as a little example. At the same time, so that left emotional system, when it decides that reality is different from what is is actually happening in in war or what I want to happen, at that level, there's certain circuitry that is going to respond to that in a negative way or in a I'm feeling unhappy, I'm feeling shamed, I'm feeling vulnerable, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, I'm feeling, and I'm not feeling what I want to be feeling, which kind of is what you're saying. What happens when you're in that scenario? And then I think that that the question is, well, that's correct. You're there and you're running that circuit. And, you know, there's nothing more delicious than feeling miserable, miserable other than perhaps grief, grievance, grieving, personal grieving is, is also an absolutely delicious emotion. And I have the choice of just getting caught up in the fact that I'm madder than hell or I'm brokenhearted or I'm grieving because someone has died who or is dying who I absolutely adore. And that's real circuitry. And it's beautiful circuitry. And I have the choice to say, this is horrible. Or I have the choice to say, this is a circumstance I would not prefer. However, it is delicious that I am alive and capable of having this experience. And I call this in uh, observing instead of simply engaging. And I'm a firm believer that anything that happens in our lives simply because we are alive and we are capable of having that conversation or perspective, it's delicious. When we run real emotional circuitry, it's amazing. Or if we're running a cognitive ability simply to be able to observe the fact that I am alive and capable of having this experience uh, is is amazing. Here I am, this, this amazing being, this form of some 50 trillion molecular cells with DNA making them molecular geniuses spinning on a rock out in the middle of the universe. And when I'm willing to allow myself to celebrate the fact that I am even capable of being miserable, I always tell my friends, I don't mind if you're miserable. I just want you to enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that you're capable of experiencing the misery. Run the circuit, let it go, step back and say, wow, oh my gosh, You know, and as soon as you do that, as soon as you're willing to observe what is happening inside of you, instead of simply engaging with it, then you're a step away in the experience of awe that I exist at all and that I'm capable. And then, you know, your right brain, which essentially what you just did was you stepped out of your left brain into your right brain. Your right brain is go is observing, saying, wow. And the right brain is the part of us that says, you know, regardless of whether or not this is going to happen, of course, I this isn't what I, I predicted for me or I expected for me or I wanted for me. And now I have to deal with shame or grief or whatever. Once we allow ourselves to step away from that and observe the bigger picture of, you know, in the big picture, I'm actually going to be OK with or without that relationship, with or without that job, with or without that experience, because I am going to be OK. When you bring yourself back to the present moment and you say, why? Well, why? Why? I mean, why is to me not the question. The question is, wow, you know, and that's, I guess, not even a question. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. No, I think that's really insightful. It's it's the idea that just the simple fact, and, and I think it comes from kind of the presence and the mindfulness and 
the observation of your own thinking experience. But this idea that just being alive and being able to experience negative emotions in, in the grand scheme of things is actually a tremendously unique and crazy thing. Just the fact that we exist, and the fact that we're here and you're saying celebrate that negative emotion, let it process and then move on from it. Exactly. And recognize that it's circuitry. You know, we all get so caught up in, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm so important and I'm the center of the universe. And at the same time, I'm just dust particles here that, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be gone in an instant. So for me, I always go back to the cells and which cells am I running that are permitting me or offering me the certain experience that I'm experiencing? And if somebody, you know, if, if something happens and my negative emotions get triggered, it's still just cells. I'm capable of, of raging like a wild banshee because I have cells that perform that function and they engage my entire body circuitry in order for me to be able to rant and rave like that. And then I step back and I go, wow, that was something, you know? And it sells. And at the same time, I'm exp I'm capable of experiencing extreme joy, extreme love, extreme celebration, extreme openness and expansiveness and connection. And again, wow, I have cells that are performing that function. So to me, uh, you know, people say, oh, Jill, you're reducing, uh, you know, love and all these wonderful things to cells. And it's not, it's like, oh my gosh, no, I'm not reducing anything. I'm celebrating the cells that permit the, me the ability, because if I'm dead, I don't have the circuitry that permits me the ability to have that experience. So any of the emotions that I get to experience that are, are rich and delicious, of course, I, I want to be able to experience that. And at the same time, know that, you know, from the moment you trigger an emotional circuit to the time you think those thoughts, you experience the emotions, the physiology gets dumped inside your bloodstream, it flushes through you, it flushes out of you takes less than 90 seconds if you don't keep rethinking the thought that re-stimulates the circuit. So observing and engaging and being aware of and celebrating, I mean, those are choices. There's a couple different ways that I want to expand on this. I, before we get too much deeper into the neurocircuitry of the brain, which I want to talk about, and I want to talk about the kind of uh, emotional limbic systems of both of the hemispheres, I think this might be a really good opportunity to, to share your story and your experience with your stroke. Would you would you tell that story and kind of what the felt emotional experience of having that stroke was like? Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. 
I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Sure. I was, uh, I grew up to study the brain in the first place because one of my brothers was only 18 months older than I was. And he was my constant companion as children. And I recognized very early, I'm going to say by year four or five, that my, we would have the exact same experience, but we would walk away with very different perceptions about what happened. And so I tuned in very early to, you know, what are we as living beings? And how is it that he can think that and I can think this? And ultimately, then I grew up to get my PhD and I was studying neuroanatomy at Harvard And I woke up one morning and I had a major hemorrhage in the left half of my own brain. So here I am, a brain scientist, teaching and performing research at Harvard. So I think neuroanatomically. And all of a sudden, I started experiencing what I call neurological weirdness, which, you know, most of us can relate to. And analyzing inside of my own brain, what's going on? What is happening to me? And I was not a clinician. I was not a neurologist. So I didn't recognize symptoms early until paralysis happened in my right arm. And then I realized, oh my gosh, I'm having a stroke. And so I had a blood vessel burst in the left half of my brain. And over the course of four hours, I could not walk, talk, read, write, or recall any of my life. So I became what I describe as an infant in a woman's body. And by that afternoon, the entire left hemisphere was swimming in a pool of blood. And all I had left was my right hemisphere. And I was still conscious and I was still aware, but I thought differently 
play in the absence of having a left hemisphere. And in that absence, I lost the boundaries of where I began and where I ended so that I perceive myself as a big ball of energy blending with the energy of everything around me. So I had the sense that I became literally as big as the universe. And yet I was consciously aware of that bigger picture, but I had lost all the details. I had lost my language, my ability to speak. I lost uh, the I, my ability to say I am Jill Bolte-Taylor in at the absence of being able to say that. And that portion of my brain that defined who is Jill Bolte-Taylor, what does she know, what has she studied, uh, what are her likes, who are her friends and her family, her relationships. I lost the definition of Jill Bolte-Taylor. And in the absence of her, I became this, this um, energy ball big as the universe with a completely different kind of perception because it was no longer inhibited by my left brain ability to focus on the details in the external world. So I lived in a completely silent mind, absolutely no language whatsoever for five weeks. And at the two and a half week mark in the middle of that, I had to have brain surgery to remove a blood clot that was the size of a golf ball. And once that happened, then they put me back together again and they said, you know, good luck. Uh, we'll see what, what you get back. And they gave me two years before we'd really know anything. And language started to come back online about two and a half to three weeks later. And I had to learn how to speak again. I had to learn vocabulary. I had to, to go back to essentially school. My right brain could have sculpted for you an abdomen or drawn for you circuitry in the brain. But I, my left hemisphere didn't have the language and the terminology for, you know, how to, how to name the, the three different portions of a stomach. So I went I went back and I relearned all my material. And then the circuitry of my left emotional brain wanted to come back online. And I didn't like the way that it felt. It was my anger and my pain, my emotional pain from the past. And I learned that I had some say in whether or not that circuitry was going to run or not. It was a fascinating, growthful experience through the process of recovery as a neuroscientist, not just relearning my anatomy and my physiology and my neuroanatomy and everything that I teach at the medical school, but also relearning who is who am I and how do these two hemispheres work with one another in order to create a whole being inside of me and what choices did I have and which circuits ran and which circuits did not run. So, you know, it it's been a long journey and I spent eight years actually negotiating and, and with myself and my cells in order to figure out who did I want to be round to because that Dr. Jill Bolte Taylor, she died that day and my goal was never to become her again. And yet, who would I become? Such a fascinating story. Tell me a little bit more about that kind of profound experience of having your 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 left brain essentially sort of turned off and the kind of you know for lack of a better term almost the, the oneness you felt with everything around you uh, you know, it, it's an exquisite experience. And I'm going to go right back to, again, I am a bunch of neurons and the neurons that are running are demanding my attention or offering my ability to experience the world in certain ways. So when all the detail circuitry went offline with language and, and language is enormous when you consider how complicated language is. And we also have language in the 
right hemisphere. So I could still, I still had the cells. I didn't have the cells that could create sound. Dog, dog is a sound. And then another portion of the brain, different cells in the left hemisphere create meaning and attach meaning to the sound dog so that when I speak, you understand what I say, etc. But the right hemisphere listens to the song of how I speak and intonation of my voice, as well as adds on the emotional content of what I'm experiencing. So if I say something like, I love you, I love you. And your brain is saying, well, your left hemisphere is hearing, I love you. You know what I love you means because those cells are tuned and and trained for that. And yet your right hemisphere is picking up the fact that, well, that sounds like anger and anger and hostility don't generally jive well with the words, I love you. And so you're looking at me and questioning the reality of what I'm actually trying to communicate with you. So every ability that we have is divided between these two beautiful hemispheres. And when one hemisphere went offline, it was, it was that attending to all those details. And instead I shifted into the perception of myself without the boundaries of where I begin, where does my skin end and the air begins because I am an energy ball. And I perceived myself because of the cells in my left hemisphere in my left orientation center of my left parietal region. I, I lost the perception of those boundaries defining me as me and you as you, and we're separate from one another and solids. And in the absence of that, I felt that I was a fluid. I am a fluid. You know, our bodies are over 90% liquid and I'm flowing and the, the atoms and molecules around us are flowing and this planet is flowing in its orbit around, you know, the universe. I mean, everything is this big fluid system. So I shifted into that consciousness and I wasn't distracted by detail. Instead, I was experiencing the wholeness of the energy being that we would call Jill, but I didn't have that definition because my left hemisphere wasn't defining it as anything. And I just experienced everything around me as connected. So I stepped into, I call it, you know, very affectionately referred to it as La La Land because it was magnificent and it was beautiful. And, and I felt a sense of incredible euphoria. And then my left brain would, would be challenged or want to come back online and hook back into detail. And for me in the beginning, that was an excruciatingly difficult process because those cells were swimming in a pool of blood and were non-functional. So to try to pay attention to detail was, was just, you know, really not an option. Um, so I was, I was very content and without the language defining things for me, I got to experience things without definition and without uh, any boundary or barrier. Uh, and so for me, that was a real, uh, I'm guessing what nirvana is or the experience of anyone who tries to meditate and preoccupy their left brain structure system and, and silence it or ignore it, to be able to have that experience of feeling at one with all that is. It was beautiful there. It's so fascinating and and really, really thought provoking. I mean, you know, even just as you kind of talked about the idea of feeling like your energy that's connected to everything. I mean, from from a purely scientific standpoint, you know, E equals MC squared, all matter is nothing but energy. And so it's it's really, really profound and, and I find it just amazingly interesting that you had that experience. Well, I think that when you consider that the difference between us being alive and us not being alive is the fact that we have at least two neurons 
that are communicating with one another. And those two neurons are going to, to be stimulated by, stimulate and be stimulated by not just one another, but with the external world. And as soon as you have two neurons negotiating dominance or whatever single cells are capable of, you're going to have an interesting relationship. And that be that's the beginning of a relationship. And I guess actually the microbe is the beginning of the relationship because it's a semi-permeable sac filled with liquid and all kinds of dynamic yummy things that make a world within a cell. And then receptors on the membrane for certain things in the external world. And some things will attract us toward, let's say, hydrogen. Uh, if I'm a cell and hydrogen is a good thing or a light photon is a good thing, it stimulates me to really percolate inside of what's going on inside of my cell, then I might be attracted toward it or I might be repelled by that because I, to me that's toxicity and I, I will go away. And I, so I look at us as human beings in exactly the same way, except we're these magnificent multicellular creatures capable of perceiving all kinds of information based on the filtering systems of our sensory systems. And then our, and, and we are attracted toward or we are repelled from things in our environment. And I think when you really wrap your mind around that fact of what you are as a living being and you start saying, wow, you know, that's kind of cool. That's a different way of looking at stuff. It allows you to step away from the ego that says, I am the center of the universe and everything is about me and everything revolves around me and every circuit that I run, I am controlled by essentially. And I have no say about what's going on inside of my head. And and that's simply, clearly not the truth anymore. And you mentioned mindfulness. And, you know, the mindfulness research shows that we can consciously choose to think certain, certain thought patterns. And by simply choosing to run certain thought patterns just by choice, we can create a habit. And the habit is actually structurally structural growth inside of the brain of different circuits so that I can then become more of one way or more more of another way, or by becoming more of this, I can actually become less of that. Or if I become more of that, then I can influence myself consciously by choosing to be more like this more of the time, even if it doesn't happen naturally, but I can choose to develop that circuit inside of my brain. So I think we're, we're in completely neuroplastic, completely malleable, maybe not completely, but certainly we have a whole lot of say about what's going on inside of our head that we've never been taught. I want to dig into neuroplasticity, but before we do, I'm curious, tell me about, like, I don't know if I'm phrasing this correctly or not, but would you say that the, the idea that, you know, we are separate from everything else is almost a, a controlled illusion that is maintained by the brain. Oh, now you're getting into the good stuff. So I think that, so I know you've, you've had conversations with other people who talk about, you know, self and, you know, you look at the body and, you know, nine out of 10 of the microbes related to us are not even our own. And so, so I see us as this collection of cells and the cells are these little living things and they have relationships with one another. And by doing so, and by attracting, 
projecting themselves physically to one another. I become this dense energy ball and we define this dense energy ball as, as me. Okay. So that's come, you know, certainly a different way than, than we typically look at ourselves, but okay, that's what we are. And if that's what we are, then how I, or whatever my consciousness is that says I'm capable of choosing how to use this mass is totally open to possibility. But I become this dense energy ball. And because I have a three dimension of cells inside of this brain that processes billions, literally billions and trillions of bits of data, moment by moment, instant by instant, in order for me to perceive myself as a real entity, I'm processing I uh, probably like, you know, 0.001% of all the, the stuff going on around me only because my eyes will experience certain frequencies, my ears will experience certain frequencies, uh, my skin will perceive certain densities, uh, you know, whatever it is, I am this amazing biological creature capable of perceiving the world in the way that I do as a normal human being. But there are other creatures that pick up other kinds of information processing that we don't even know about. And so I do have the ability to perceive myself as a living person, as an entity based on the collection of cells and how my cells are organized in order to process stimulation in certain ways inside of this three-dimensional brain, giving me a three-dimensional perception of myself in a three-dimensional space. So, you know, I think it's really cool and I don't take myself that seriously. I don't take any of this really seriously. And yet at the same time, I take it all extremely seriously because I'm here. I'm alive. I value life. I would like to see us as humanity in relationship to the planet take better care of, of her and of, you know, the, 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 just the way we are because Life to me is a precious and amazing thing. And the evolution of humanity and what's going on and how our human brains are developing and how far we've come as a living being, I would like to see us be able to evolve to the next level. Um, and, and I think it's all very interesting and exciting in its own interesting way. It's so fascinating to me. I mean, obviously, truly unique experience to have such a trained, you know, neuroanatomist experience a stroke from the inside out and the experiences you had and how that must have shaped, you know, your your life and your your perceptions of the world. It's truly, truly interesting and inspiring to me personally. How old are you, Matt? 31. 31. And I look at your life, I look at, you know, and I have this tiny little filter of who you are and how you're using yourself. And in your 31 years, you've managed to figure out that for you, the process of discovery and searching and growing, and not just as an individual, but helping other people in the world, just simply by by doing these kinds of interviews and sharing those with your fellow uh, population. And, 
you know, so I look at you uh, just in what I can see on the internet, because that's how we all are filtering and making judgment these days. And I see you as using both of your hemispheres. You would not be doing what you're doing as a human being and having the kinds of conversations you're having at your age, if you weren't really bringing forth the gift skill sets of both hemispheres. And to me, to be able to have a conversation with someone who is your age, who communicates with people in your population, because, you know, I'm a woman in my 50s, and your population is young men, you know, probably 25 to 35. This is a population I don't get to speak to often, but you do. And I think it's remarkable that you are coming into the world here with all of your skills saying, how do I do this in a way that I can actually influence my fellow man in a really positive way at a critical time in their life where they're making enormous choices in who and how they want to be for the rest of their lives. So I think you're an excellent example of of how can someone use their skill sets in a positive way in both of their hemispheres in order to make your personal impact in a satisfying and meaningful way. So first, I just want to say thank you. Wow, that was really, really kind. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. It, it really means a lot to me. And uh, wow, I can't... Uh, I'm blushing. <laughs> so thank you for sharing those kind words. I, I do have one more topic I want to kind of touch on. But before we wrap up, I'd love to dig into a little bit neuroplasticity you know we talked about it we kind of mentioned it but i think it's really important to to underscore and share this idea that our brains are not fixed and that they can be changed and improved so if you go back to the concept of where uh, our brain is just a group of cells communicating with one another. And so let's say, I, I mean, learning, all learning is different cells who are putting together different skill sets in a fluid path so that we have the ability to have a new ability. And that is neuroplasticity. Learning is neuroplasticity. So the only reason why neuroplasticity is such a catchphrase now is because because uh, we were taught, you know, back in the 80s and 90s and, and I don't know how far back, but forever that the first three years of life are, are the critical de- developmental period. And after that, we don't really do much development. And the fact of the matter is, yes, those first three years are an extremely important developmental period because that's when the cells, which uh, the, when you think about the cortex, the cerebral cortex of those two hemispheres, it's the undulated convoluted portion that you think that you think of when you think of a brain the cells they're six layers thick and when we're born most all of those cells in the cortex have assumed a position inside of those six layers but they haven't really interconnected with one another. And so during the first three years of experience, those cells start creating pattern responses and interrelate to one another. And so it's a critical time. Absolutely, we need to have an enriched environment for our babies. The more exposure they get, the more neurons connect uh, to one another in different patterning. And we want to set our babies up with all this magnificent neural patterning so that as they get older, they have all that to call on. So 
so yes, development is incredibly important. And then for, you know, pretty much the next uh, maybe eight to 10 years, that circuitry gets established and we teach our kids are in elementary school and we teach them, you know, how to be social with adults and kids their own age and their siblings. And, and we teach them how to speak and we teach them how to, to crawl and then walk. And there's all this really important stuff going on, but it's really all about me. And then the teenage years begin to hit and pre-puberty hits uh, about two years before the full-blown puberty response. And there's this um, sprouting of dendritic connections between the neurons. That's the receiving part of the neurons. And then these cells are receiving, receiving, receiving. And and if you know children a couple of years before puberty, they're like little sponges. They want to they wanna know everything. And at the same time, they're distracted by everything because everything's so exciting and stimulating. And then the puberty years come on. And as the puberty years come on, uh, we go through this big physiological, physical spurt. And all of a sudden, our bodies are becoming very interesting, very unusual, uh, very unfamiliar, but very interesting. And and hormones start to flow. And, and all of this stuff is going on inside of our bodies. And there's actually another major neurological transformation that is happening at the level of the teenage years. So, so all of this is to say that neuroplasticity is a fundamental way that the nervous system is, but we didn't know that. And because we didn't know that in science, I was taught back in the 80s and and the 90s that, you know, the brain cells you're born with are the brain cells you're going to die with. And so you have to protect them. And yes, that is true, except for uh, we do have the capacity to grow some new neurons, especially in response to trauma. And that's neurogenesis. So we're capable of growing some new neurons. And then neuroplasticity is the ability of our cells to rearrange who they're communicating with, kind of like the social network of of neurons. And so that is also very natural and very, it, it underlies the function and how the cells function. And we just didn't know that before. So, you know, now we act like neuroplasticity is this really big thing, but, and it is this really big thing, but it makes sense because it's how we learn. And in order for me to learn that A plus B equals C, I have to learn what an A is. I have to learn what a B is. And then I have to be able to put them together in a way that my mind has never put them together before in order to come up with C. But yeah, you know, neuroplasticity is a magnificent thing. And certainly I would not be here speaking to you if my left brain had not been capable of neuroplasticity, rearranging its connections and communications after that trauma in order for, because actual cells died inside of my brain and somehow or another other cells had to be formed through neurogenesis in order to replace that function or the cells that were in there had to rearrange how they were communicating with one another so that I would actually regain that ability of those cells that had died. So what would one kind of piece of homework be that you would give to someone listening to this episode to maybe implement some of the ideas or things we've talked about today? I would say pay attention to what's going on inside of your head. Pay attention to what are you thinking now and how does it feel? And uh, would you say that it was more of a, a cognitive thinking thing or are you experiencing an emotion? I would encourage people to actually kind of maybe jot down in the course of an hour. What kinds of things are they thinking? Are they thinking details, big picture, or are they having a really creative, innovative moment? Um, are they feeling loving? Are they feeling what emotion are they feeling? How would they put label that and just kind of look at what is your state? 
standard? You know, what's your base level today? And then ask yourself, okay, you know, I respond in X way to my wife. I'm responding uh, Y way to my sibling. You know, how do I respond and react? What's actually going on? What circuitry am I running? And I think once you start paying attention to that, a big light bulb is going to go off. And then you're going to ask yourself, whoa, how much of this stuff do I want? And how much of that stuff do I want more of? And then how do I get further in in actually doing, creating that circuitry inside of my own brain? And where can listeners find you and and your work online? Uh, Well, if you plug in Jill Bolte-Taylor, I think I'm going to pop up all over the place. There's uh, interviews on YouTube. There are a bunch of interviews on podcasts. I mean, I'm just kind of, it kind of surprises me how I have managed to, you know, I'm like a neuron, you know, because everybody's got a brain. And if you have a brain, then you're probably interested in your brain. And if you're interested in your brain, then you're going to find me of interest. And if you find me of interest, then depending on which portion of what I have to say you're interested in. So say, for example, uh, you're about science, you're interested in the neurons and what that experience is, but you're also in the whole brain avenue. So you actually do care about what's going on in both of those hemispheres and how they relate to one another. Some people are more attracted towards the more left brain conversation. Some people are more interested in the more right brain conversation. Some people are more interested in the whole brain conversation, but I can guarantee it, if you go looking, you'll find. Otherwise, you know, drjilltaylor.com is, I think, where I hang out. Well, Dr. Jill, thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing all this wisdom, your amazing personal story, and uh, all of the knowledge with our listeners. We really, really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you reaching out, Matt. Again, I value who you are and how you are using yourself in the world. And, you know, I, I, any way that I can help, I'm, I'm happy to contribute. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from listeners. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you, and I read and respond to every single listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should sign up for our email list today by going to successpodcast.com, signing up right on the homepage. There's some incredible stuff that's only available to those on the email list, so be sure to sign up, including an exclusive curated weekly email from us called Mindset Monday, which is short, simple, filled with articles, stories, things that we found interesting and fascinating in the world of evidence-based growth in the last week. Next, you're getting an exclusive chance to shape the show, including voting on guests, submitting your own personal questions that we'll ask guests on air, and much more. Lastly, you're going to get a free guide we created based on listener demand, our most popular guide, which is called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another surprise bonus guide by signing up and joining the email list today. Again, you can do that at successpodcast.com, sign up right at the homepage, or If you're on the go, just text the word SMARTER, S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes because that helps boost the algorithm that helps us move up the iTunes rankings and helps more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information we talk about in the show, links, transcripts, everything we discuss, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can get those at successpodcast.com. 
com. Just hit the show notes button right at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of The Science of Success.